The book of 2 Kings in chapter 5. Appreciate your presence this morning. Appreciate your prayers. Uh, as we're singing the song, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's, uh, the word surely there is, is used to make the song complete, but oftentimes the word surely is, is used to, to describe something that you know. Uh, something that is factual, something that is is no doubt. Surely this is going to happen. Uh, there's no doubt in your mind, and and that's another promise from God, is that His mercy uh, abounds toward us uh, in our life each and every day. Uh, not only that, the the Bible tells us that 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 all things work together for good to them that love God and are called to, according to His purpose. Therefore, we see the song "Surely Goodness and Mercy" is a promise of God. It's a promise of God to us. It's a promise of God for us. This morning we're going to look at some other things that we know. Uh, and and the, the thought that's kind of been on my heart all week is, is do we think or do we know? Because I can think a lot of things. I, I can think, I can hope, but there's, there's fewer and fewer things in this world that we know. Uh, up until about a week ago, I knew the day that we were going to start back to school. Up until, uh, uh, up until Corona, we knew what was coming in 2020. Another year just like 2019. Didn't work out that way. Uh, up until the governor started discussing what he was going to do with the state of Louisiana, we assumed that masks would be optional and school would start on time and everything would kind of get back to normal come fall time. That's something else that we thought. Whenever we get to thinking about what we really do know uh, the Bible says that, that there will come a day that the sun will not rise and that the moon will turn to blood. So we can't even know for a fact, 100% certain, that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. So whenever we start thinking about things that we know and, and things that we are certain of and sure of, outside of the Bible, we don't have a leg to stand on. Outside of the Word of God and the promises that He's made to us, we don't have an awful lot that we can know. By the help of God this morning, I, I want to just talk to us a little bit about what we do know, about what we can know with the help of God. Book of 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 9. The book of 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 9. And so Naaman came with his horses, with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times. And I flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to come to your house and worship you. God, thank you for your word and the promises contained therein. God, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your goodness toward us. God, we thank you most of all for Jesus. And through him we can have not only salvation, God, through him we can have a knowing salvation. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells within each and every one of us here to save God, that, that through it that we can know your will in our life. God, I pray that you help us so we can submit every day, God, that we can crucify this flesh every day of our life. God, help us so we can be that witness, that light that you call us to be. God, help us this morning that we could open our hearts to receive what you'd have to say to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit. God, use me as a mouthpiece, cleanse the messages, meaning blunders and mistakes I might make. God, be with each and every one, ask interest in our prayers, forgive us of our sins, in Christ's name we ask. Amen. Here we read an account of Naaman, and, and pretty much everybody that reads their Bible uh, understands exactly the situation that Naaman was in. Uh, he was in his home country, and, and he was a prominent person. 
he was not only well known, he was, uh, he was rich. He was high up in, in what you would say the government or the, with the soldiers or whatnot. We're not going to get into that. But a servant, a maid that he had, told him, man, I wish he was back in, back in my country. Because we have a man of God that would take care of this leprosy. And whenever he heard this, he struck out. And we read in verse 5 and 6 that, that he went to the king of Israel first. And the king of Israel couldn't do a whole lot for him. Because in the king of Israel's mind, one thing that he knew for a fact was that leprosy was an incurable disease. That's something that he knew. That's something that without a shadow of a doubt, this man knew that leprosy was an incurable disease. And he saw it offensive whenever this man came and, and asked him to cure him. The man heard about the, God, the man of God, Elisha. And he said in verse 8, he said, let him come now to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Elisha said, let God prove a point. How many times do we allow God to use us to prove a point? Something that the king of Israel here knew for a fact, 100%. And God proved him wrong. Elisha said that they may know, that everyone may know. Do you think this thing that happened to Naaman, the, the news of it didn't spread? Today, things spread very, very quickly and, and with social media and the internet, uh, I can send a text message from my phone to the other side of the world and it'll be there in a matter of seconds. I can look up something that happened in China 10 minutes ago and it, it'll pop up on my phone. Back then, they didn't have social media, they didn't have internet. But word still spread. News still spread. Especially whenever it came down to something that, that was as significant as this. But we see a problem whenever Naaman came down here to Elisha. He came to the house of Elisha. And Elisha didn't come out and see him. So whenever Naaman was driving up, he, he, he heard and he had words sent to him that this man can cure me of my leprosy. This man can heal me of this incurable disease. So whenever he's driving up, he has this thought in his head of the way it's supposed to go. As a teacher and as a student, I had thoughts in my head of the way the first day of school was supposed to go. When I got to college, I had thoughts in my head of the way the first day of college was supposed to go. Whenever I started preaching, I had thoughts in my head of the way that church was supposed to go. These thoughts don't exactly work out all the time. If you're here in the educational industry, you understand that kids are crazy. If you're here and you're a parent, you understand the kids are crazy. The very few things that, that we can really predict and, and see in our head of the way things are going to be. Because it don't work that way. In the same way, here Naaman came down to Elisha and he had in his head what was going to happen. And he, he messed up. He messed up bad. I was coached for baseball for a couple of years and, and I couldn't get it through their head that, that baseball is a sport of precision, but it's also a sport of speed. If, if you get the ball hit to you, and before it gets to you, if you don't know what you're going to do with it, you already messed up. You already lost. And so the thing that I, I tried to convey to, my, to my, my players is that you can't think. Because the second you begin to think, you've already messed up. That applies to us as Christians as well. The minute we begin to think, this is the way it ought to be. The minute we begin to think, why is God not doing this? The minute we begin to interject our own opinions 
and thoughts into God's will. The moment that we try to create it into something that God didn't intend it. That's the time that we mess up. That's the time that that's the time that we get like Naaman. And we get wroth. We get upset. We get ever so slightly separated. Naaman said, Behold, I thought. Behold, I thought. He said, I thought surely he would come out to me. He would stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He said, surely I thought. Surely I thought this was going to happen. Here today, whenever we begin to ask God for things in our life, are we expecting God to deliver on His terms? Are we expecting God to deliver on ours? Too many people today, and, and if you're here and, and unsure about your salvation, God promises us a knowing salvation. Because whenever we begin to talk about salvation today, there are far too many people that picture fireworks as wonderful and great and awesome as being saved is. There was no fireworks the day I got saved. We began to tie in feelings instead of knowing. We began to feel. Whenever I got saved, I was sitting right beside my dad. He had no idea what happened. No idea. I had to reach over and tell him because I didn't change colors. There was no fireworks. I wasn't shaking in my seat. The preacher didn't holler and scream and I didn't repeat a prayer. Outside of what was in my heart, nobody could tell anything was different. Nobody could tell I had just gotten saved. It's not a feeling, but it's a knowing salvation that God promises us. The minute we begin to think is the minute the devil comes to us and says, it can't be that simple. You didn't get saved. It didn't happen. You know how long it took after I got saved before the devil put that thought in my head? You know exactly how long it took. A matter of seconds. A matter of seconds after I surrendered my life to Christ, the devil said it couldn't have been that easy. It couldn't have been that simple. Nothing happened. Naaman said it can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. Nothing happened. This man didn't even show his face. But it is. It is that simple. God revealing His will to our life is that simple. The salvation plan that Jesus Christ died for is that simple. Amen. It's whenever we get to thinking that we go wrong. Here Naaman said that I thought that He would come out, stand and call on the name of His Lord and strike His hand over the place and recover the leper. Naaman thought, and his thoughts like to have got him stuck with leprosy for the remainder of his life. Amen. Whenever we begin to start thinking and whenever we begin to, to interject our own thoughts and opinions, we can be stuck with our problems for the rest of our life. Because we're expecting God to deliver on our terms, and it don't work that way. God does not work according to our schedule. God does not work according to our terms. God does not work according to what he, we want. God works according to what we need how we need it, and when we need it. And we can't get hung up on what we think we need. And I use a quote all the time, and I have no idea where it comes from. But it says that God sees tomorrow better than we see yesterday. So if He knows tomorrow, 
Why don't we let Him take care of our life tomorrow? Why don't we trust Him and believe in Him that, that He can take care of us through tomorrow? Here, Elisha gave Naaman a very, very simple task. He said, go wash in Jordan seven times and I flesh shall come in unto thee. Immediately, immediately, Naaman started messing up. If you're hearing us say this morning, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, whosoever believes, that's as simple as it gets, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. That's a promise. That's something that we know. That's not something that we think. That's not something that we feel. That's something that we know. And if you're here and unsaved and you hadn't believed on Jesus Christ and you don't know it, you have no idea. You can't understand it. You can't feel it. If you're here and unsure about your salvation, I challenge you to get it right today. Because thinking you're saved can get you all the way to hell. Feeling that you're saved can get you all the way to hell. Knowing that you're saved can take you all the way to heaven. There's a very, very big difference. Very, very big difference in thinking and knowing. Here Naaman thought. The first thing he thought is that there was going to be a, a grand scheme. Something big, a big show. What's the second thing he thought? He said, why can't I go somewhere clean? He said that the rivers, well, let's read it, verse 12. Arnan, Abana, and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. He said, why can't I do something more convenient? Something cleaner. In Acts in chapter 1, the disciples were given a commission often referred to as the last words of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world. All the world. Jesus did not give them an option. Jesus did not tell them, you go here first, and then if it don't work out, you just, well, we'll, we'll, we'll come back and gather around and then we'll try again. Or we'll, we'll put another mission board in charge of it. He said that they were to be witnesses of Him to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here Jesus gave us an opportunity to be witnesses for Him, but He didn't say it was always going to be easy. He didn't say it was always going to be simple. But he said he would always show us his will in our life. Here Naaman said he didn't want to do it because it wasn't clean. Because it wasn't convenient. Because it wasn't easy. Because it wasn't simple. If Naaman would have went and dipped in these rivers 117 times, it wouldn't have done him any good. He would have got wet and that's about it. Probably would have got a little bit madder. And that's about as far as it would have carried him if he went and dipped in any river other than Jordan. His servants came near and spake unto him, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would it not thou have done it? But rather, when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean. If you read back up in the beginning of the chapter, Naaman brought all kind of stuff with him. I mean, he had gold and he had silver and he had raiment. He brought all these things to give to the person that would heal him. Here today, we can bring everything that we have to God. And it's not worth anything. It's not worth nothing. All that we can give Him is ourself. 
All that we can submit unto Him that, that's worth anything is our will. Amen. Here, all Naaman had to do was obey Him. All God asked us to do was obey Him. If Naaman would have went and dipped six times, would he have been healed? I do believe in all my heart that whenever Naaman came up that sixth time, that he was the same person he was before he went in that river. If Naaman would have partially obeyed God, he would have left that river a leper. If you're here and unsaved and you don't fully believe Jesus, you're going to leave here lost, bound for hell. If you're here and think that you're saved and don't fully know, if you believe in Jesus, there's something holding you back. If you only partially obey God, you're going to leave here lost. If you continue through this life partially obeying, partially believing, never assured of your salvation, never knowing that you're saved, you're going to leave this world lost and lift your eyes in the devil's hell. If you're here and know that you're saved, but you're only partially submitting your life to Jesus Christ, the judgment day is going to be a sad, sad day. No doubt even, even for each and every one of us, God is going to show us the places that we failed, that we've come short, the times that we partially obeyed Him, the times that we partially submitted unto Him. But how much sweeter a judgment would it be if we allow God to lead in every aspect of our life? I saw a picture on Facebook and it made an awful lot of sense. It said, Jesus was crucified once, but I have to crucify my flesh every day in order to follow the Spirit of God. We have to submit our will every day. We have to follow Jesus every day. It's not just on Sundays. It's not just on Wednesdays. It's not just in the mornings when we get up and pray. It's not just in the evenings whenever we read our Bible. It's not just whenever we're around other Christians. We're to submit. We're to be a witness. We're to be led and called of God all the time. Not just some of the time. In Joshua in chapter 2, verse 8, we read about the harlot named Rahab. The harlot named Rahab lived on, on a wall. And her house was on the wall. That's how big it was. And she allowed the spies to come in and spy. And she allowed them for one reason. It says there that she knew that God was with them. Uses that word. That she knew that God was with them. Did it change her life? Whenever those walls came tumbling down, her and her family was safe. Whenever God took that city, her and her family was safe because she knew. She didn't think, she didn't feel. She wasn't a perfect person. She wasn't close to a perfect person. But she obeyed God. If you're here and you're a perfect person, shake my hand on the way out the door and let me know. I've never shook the hand of a perfect person before. Amen. I'm not perfect. If you're honest with yourself, you're not either. We're not close to perfect. But God didn't call perfect people. God don't... And I hope I get this right because I mess it up about every time I try to quote this. God don't call the prepared... He prepares the call. God will give us the tools that we need. God will allow us the opportunities, but we have to submit ourselves to Him. We have to understand and know what His will is in our life. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke in chapter 12. The book of Luke in chapter 12, while you're turning, I want to read you a spot out of Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Whenever we begin to interject our own thoughts and what God wants for us, we mess up. Because we can't even imagine what God has in store for us. We can't even imagine the things that God has protected us from today, let alone tomorrow. And yet all too many times, we try to think real hard about what God should do. What God shouldn't do. We try to put God on the same level as people. And it don't work that way. Luke in chapter 12, verse 16. Luke in chapter 12, verse 16. He spake a parable unto them. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Today we live in a country that has brought forth plentifully. Yes, there's a lot of mess going on. We're still the greatest country to live in on planet Earth. With everything that's happening in the world, America's still the land of plenty. There's still what's called an American dream. We still have the freedom to worship a God upon whose foundations the country was founded on. This rich man's land brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? Where'd he mess up? He thought. Man, that gets dangerous. Naming thought. And here we go again. This rich man thought. What's the difference in this rich man and Rahab? Rahab said, I know. The rich man said he thought within himself. And then look what's following. And said, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. All these plans he made because he was in the land of plenty, because he had a good crop, because he was taken care of, because he took for granted everything that God had done for him lately. Sound familiar? We take for granted things God takes us through. We take for granted the opportunities that God bless us with. And if we get to the point that we begin to think within ourselves what I'm capable of, what I've done, what I can do, that makes us a very, very dangerous person because we're beginning to wonder outside of the will of God. We're beginning to think within ourselves. We're beginning to wonder within ourselves. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. I've never accused myself of being an extremely smart person. I have a, a little brother, middle brother, graduated Louisiana Tech as an electrical engineer. The things that he took as a freshman, I don't understand. It looks like Greek. It's called calculus. It's that foreign language that nobody really likes. He's an extremely smart person. God didn't call us to get smart and then go do his will. God didn't call us to trust in our intelligence, to trust in our knowledge. Because if we begin to trust in our knowledge, what do we really know? There are laws of physics. There are laws of quantum mechanics. But if you read the Bible, God has already done away with them. God has already proved that they are not in fact laws. God has already proved that, it, that he can change the world. 
that he can change physics. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. I, I know at least one other person in here has done it because I can't be the only person dumb enough to do it. But have you ever found yourself trying to lean up on a pole and you miss the pole? That's what's leaning on our own understanding is like. Whenever we try to lean on a pole and it's not there. That's what it's like to lean on our knowledge. That's what it's like to lean on what I know. Because outside of the Bible and the Holy Spirit, I don't know very much. Outside of what God has told me, I don't know very much. Turn to the book of 1 John if you would. The book of 1 John in chapter 5. One thing that we can know for a fact, and it's the last thing I want to hit on, is that we are saved. That we are saved eternally. There's religions and there's people and there's facts of society that teach that, that you can lose your salvation. There are teachings and religions and people that teach that you don't have a choice to be saved. That you're either there or you're not when you're born. My Bible says that whosoever will gets rid of that doctrine. My Bible says that the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Not that we are for a little while. Not that we might be until we mess up again. The Bible says that we are sealed until the day of redemption. That is forever. That does away with the other doctrine. Our Bible does away with the false teachings of the world. Because our Bible is something that we can know. Our Bible is something that we can trust in. Our Bible is something that we can hold fast to. In 1 John in chapter 5, we're going to read verse 1. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It don't get very much simpler than that. It's a yes or no question. If you're taking a test on a scantron, it's an A or a B. A yes or a no. A true or a false. There's no C, there's no maybe, there's no all of the above, there's no none of the above. It's yes or no. Your eternity lies on your answer to that yes or no question. Let me read it again. Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth Him that begot loveth Him that is begotten of Him. By this we know for a fact 100% rooted and grounded in the Bible we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Jump over to verse 11. It says, And this is the record that God has given us to eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. This morning, I don't want you to raise your hand or, or answer to me because you, you'll never answer to me. I want you to answer to God whether or not you know Jesus. In your heart this morning, you either have the Son or you don't. In your heart this morning, you're either saved or you're not. There's no maybe. There's no middle of the ground. 
There's no perhaps. Verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life. There's no wiggle room in that verse. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The first side of that verse is our ticket to heaven. The bottom part of that verse is your ticket to hell. I was talking this morning in Sunday school. The statement was made about eternity. Whenever we were born on this earth, we began our journey into eternity. But where we spend it depends on our answer to that question. Whenever we were born into this world, we began our journey toward hell. Whenever we were born, we were lost. We were undone. We were without Jesus. We began our journey, our journey into eternity toward hell. There's a song, and, and Brother Lee Rand Hunt sang it. First time I ever heard it. It's called an address change notification. Whenever you're saved, your destination changes. The song goes, this is an address change notification. No longer bound for hell whenever you're saved. Your eternity, your eternal destination then becomes heaven. Here this morning, I... The burden on my heart for you that are lost, even for you that are unsure is that you could know. It's better to know one way or the other than to go through life thinking. Amen. Than to go through life hoping and to die lost. If you're here and you think you'll be taken out of this world at any moment, don't think. No. If you're here and unsaved, you can be taken out of this world at any moment. Don't put it off. Don't think that there'll be a tomorrow. For the rich man we read about in Luke, there was no tomorrow. God said, thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. If you're here and unsaved, and you die lost, then you're in the same boat as that fool because the plan of salvation was so simple. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans in chapter 8. The book of Romans in chapter 8, and we'll close. The Bible says in John in chapter 5, Jesus says that whosoever believes heareth the words and believe the words shall have eternal life. He says in John in chapter 6 that he that believeth has eternal life. Here in Romans in chapter 8, we're going to look down at verse 35. The words of Jesus are eternal life. And believing on Jesus is your ticket into eternal life. Romans in chapter 8, verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Our tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Nothing in this world can separate us from Christ whenever we're saved. If you're here and you don't know, if you really got saved in your life, if you have a birthplace you can go back to, if you have that assurance, that spirit that bears witness with your spirit, then there's nothing that can separate you from God. There's nothing that can separate you from your salvation. Verse 38 says, For I am persuaded 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're here and saved, that is eternal. You can think all you want after you're saved. You can't lose it. You can't mess up bad enough to lose it. But God don't want you to mess up anyway. God asked you to trust and to follow and obey Him. God asked us all to submit ourselves, to crucify ourselves, that we might stay within that love, but also within the will of God. My prayer to God this morning is that each and every one of us that is saved can submit ourselves, can crucify ourselves daily, that we would stop thinking about what God should do and we could allow God to use our life, that we could submit ourselves, that we could be like Rahab, and that we could know that we would lean not into our own understanding. If you're here and unsure of your salvation, I pray that this could be the day that you can get that settled. And if you're here and lost, I pray you wouldn't go another second without accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. We was talking this morning, the Sunday school lesson talks about the, the offerings, the burnt offerings, the sacrifices that were made for the sins of the people of Israel. And I told Brother Ed, I said, if, if it required all the sacrifices that, that the law required of Israel to be saved today, we would be in trouble. The world would be in trouble. But it don't require us to sacrifice an animal to be saved today. It don't require you to see fireworks or to have this big feeling within yourself. It requires you to ask Jesus Christ to save you. Understanding and realizing that you're a sinner and that he died for you. For God so loved the world, that's everybody in it, that he gave his only begotten son, the only person that could truly sacrifice for our sins. And whosoever believest in him, if you'll believe with all your heart, God for Jesus' sake will save you. Oh, I have a verse of a song. I'd like to give an opportunity for invitation if anyone would have anything on their heart.